turns out I'm into it. Into it. Hey, hey, friends, it is Harley Rabbit here back with another episode of Turns Out I'm Into It, the show all about helping you discover your kinky self and live your best sex life. I have an incredible guest for you guys today. Some of you may already know him as Kinky Lens on FetLife. He is an erotic photographer, and if you haven't seen his work, I highly recommend you go check it out on FetLife. His profile name is Kinky Lens. I will put a link to that in the show notes for you. I know a lot of you are like myself and enjoy taking sexy photos of your kinky exploration. And this episode is jam-packed with tips and advice on capturing those magic moments on camera. It is also packed with Len's wisdom and experience as an artist and as a kinkster. So if you love creativity, erotic art and learning from others in the community, you're going to love this episode. And if you do love it, please remember to give this podcast a five-star rating. Those are anonymous on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and that will help more people be able to find the podcast and inform themselves about taboo topics like the ones that we discuss in this episode. All right, let's jump in. This is my conversation with Kinky Lens. I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm into it. All right, Kinky Lens, thank you so much for coming on the show. Coming on to Turns Out I'm Into It, I am a big fan of your work on FetLife. I've been following your profile for a couple of months and I was really excited that you agreed to come and chat to me today so we can dive into your creative process and get to know you a little bit more. So welcome to Turns Out I'm Into It. Oh, thank you for having me and it's it's so wonderful to be here and I've been really enjoying listening to you to your beautiful work as well, your podcast and your uh, incredible sound stories that uh, are wonderful. So uh, it's a pleasure to meet you like this. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Um, So I'm really curious to dive into your fetish photography today. Um, I thought we'd just start at the beginning and, and I'll ask you how you got into fetish photography in the first place. I, well, I've always had a fascination with pictures. Um, my first porn as a child, well, I don't know how old I was, but I used to cut the lingerie ads out of the newspaper and keep oh. them and I'd masturbate to them. And uh, uh, that was a very early connection with uh, lingerie um, and sex wow. and not understanding. I didn't have a sex education. It was all self-discovery. Yeah. Um, uh, I said to my parents, can I go to the sex ed class? And they said, no, no, you already know all that. And I was oh. like, oh, okay. <laughs> I won't go then. So um, uh, it's not surprising that, uh, you know, I started pointing my camera at, at my girlfriends um, and my, my lovers over the yeah. over the time. So uh, I was photographing myself uh, when I was at art school. I went to art school with um, people that were doing very, very graphic content, and it never occurred to me to actually do that. Um, it, it really didn't start um, to much later, and I developed about twenty years ago. I started to really develop a taste for photographing nudes. And uh, in that journey of photographing nudes, 
I met a, a, a kinky lady and uh, uh, when we went to do the photo shoot, she saw, I'm bringing my partner, my husband, and uh, as a chaperone, which yep. I always encourage and like, oh, great. And uh, what a wonderful thing. And um, we became very good friends. And when I went to visit them in their house, you know, they had a St. John's cross in their lounge room. In the lounge and room, wow. In the, and she was wearing a collar and they were in a, um, a, a master slave or, or master dominant um, a submissive relationship. They were married and they were living the lifestyle. And this was really my first encounter with the community. And uh, I was photographing her and then um, there was lingerie and that was a moving away from nudes, it suddenly became something else. And they invited me to do a shoot of them uh, uh, having sex. And that was my first encounter with actually doing uh, more graphic content. And uh, this was my introduction to the scene. And I had no idea that um, people lived in a power-based relationship. I had no idea that they used it to help manage um, their mental illnesses as well and to help survive. Like it was a really, really important part of their way of life. I had no idea about um, sadism and masochism and those sort of things as well. And uh, um, here I am uh, photographing them, uh, watching them play and uh, uh, that really affected me in the most incredible way and uh, wasn't very long before um, they were inviting me to photograph their one of their brothers and um, his um, husband. So then I was photographing two men having sex as well and I'm yeah. like, oh, my God, I'm into this as well. <laughs> and, like, that took me back to my teenage years when I was experimenting with men as well as women and I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, of course I'm bi and I'm starting to understand that and then uh, it really started to unpack who I was through this experience of making art about them and uh, it started this and it's it, that was only the beginning. Uh, it started this huge journey of who am I through making art and the answers come as I'm making the art. I'm like, oh, I like that. I want to try that or that's me or um, that really excites me and that turns me on because really you could easily say that art is sex and sex is art because um, it's just, there's a whole lot of similar feelings and emotions when you're making really beautiful art. You're getting this rush and this feeling and it's a turn on. And it's yeah. really, really exciting. I love that comparison. I've never really thought of it in that way before. But as soon as you said it, there are so many similarities between between art and sex. It's like almost like tapping into something deeper in inside you and following that. Like you mightn't understand what it is, but you just need to do this or you need to go this way or pursue that thing. Something about this is really exciting to me. Um, I mean, in, that seems to be what happens when, when I'm creating, but also when I'm exploring kink, <laughs> yeah, it's a very personal 
part of you. It's it's like you're exploring your fantasies, isn't it? Yeah. Like you can actually explore sex through fantasy yep. and you can explore whether it turns you on without actually trying it. And then you can actually then take the next step of trying it. And uh, for me, that happens visually. So I can explore it mentally. I can explore it through the visual and through the art making process mm -hmm. and see how I'm reacting and feeling to it. And then I can take the next step and go, well, I'm going to go and try that myself too. And um, I mix the whole lot together. Yeah. <laughs> that so, was the so next beautiful. thing I was, the next thing I was going to ask you was that um, when you're photographing people, is it like, how would I word this? Because I think there's this, we're taught that we're meant to be very professional and to keep our sexual feelings repressed and, and out of the picture, um, particularly when we're doing something like photography, you know, where I'm here to be the photographer. But it sounds to me like you're really in touch with that sexual energy in yourself and that experience is erotic for you as well while you're photographing people. Do I have that right? Uh, yes, it is erotic for me and, of yeah. course, I'm enjoying it. And I'm a voyeur, so I, I just to, – to be there and watching someone have sex yeah. live in front of you is – is beautiful and it's magical and to see their joy and their uh, expressions and their love um, and their connection and actually you know seeing what they what really turns them on and what they love that's a very strong passion for me to pursue that and that's really what I want to photograph is not someone acting and pretending to enjoy something to, to actually be there and to do it and yes when it's people that I don't know. Um, I'm a third party in the room working with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then often, because it's such an intimate experience, I end up making really, really close friends. And uh, over the years, I, many people that I photographed have, have become best friends. And then on top of that, which is another whole genre, is when I actually and photographing with someone who is a lover or a partner or they're inviting me in to be part of the whole scene and then I'm interacting in it and it's actually becoming uh, more down the path of a self-portrait. I think all of my work is self-portraiture regardless and it all tells my story. I don't That's really see myself as a documenter um, sharing the world. I'm actually sharing what I think and believe through um, my emotions and what I'm into. Yeah. But doing it with a lover is actually the, the biggest, most beautiful turn on and having a muse that is actually a sexual partner yeah. and that you have emotions for and making art is the most magical, most beautiful thing that you could ever ask for in a relationship for me. You know, it becomes a collaboration and it's a becomes a way of life and it's uh it's beautiful <laughs> so that's yeah I, i'm i love that answer it sounds to me like you're really trying to capture this authentic side of someone who they really are rather than when you say you don't want to photograph someone acting or pretending um you're actually trying to capture something really intimate and really true Yes, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
would you say that that would be a difference between fetish photography and pornography? Um, oh, that's a really good question. And um, uh, I think that depends on the um, photographer and the performers and the people being um, involved in it. I'm sure that there's some pornography and I would see that my work, I, I sometimes call myself a pornographer and I really love okay. that. Yeah. notion of being a pornographer um, and uh, I'm making sexual content. Um, so, you know, from the outside looking in, of course you are. Um, mm. But there's also this uh, uh, this idea of actually capturing something that's real, that's, mm. you know, the real emotion. And so there must be pornography that is that has real emotion in it that's incredibly beautiful and romantic and has really, really intense feelings and just isn't actors pretending. And the same with fetish. Some people set up fetish photos and mm. they ask people to be actors in the scene. And as I've progressed along, because I've started that place and I still do work like that occasionally, and particularly when I'm working with a large group of people, um, we're creating a bit of a scene, but I'm still after the authentic person in there and I'm more interested in re, uh, uh, bits of reality within the, the image or total reality um, to capture the, uh, you know, the, the, ex the essence and the excitement of what's going on. Yeah. Okay, because I wanted to ask you about your process and you've sort of touched on this already. So would you perhaps have a bit of an idea of what you want to photograph and and make that a starting point? Like do you, do you um, yeah, do you come up with a, a, a shot that's in your mind that you want to get and then try and make that happen? Or is it more about just being spontaneous and seeing just watching the magic and try and capture those moments when when i try to imagine a final artwork and then make it i get so disappointed in the artwork because it oh. doesn't match the beauty in my imagination okay. and uh, my whole art career has been learning to let go of that as a process and uh, surrendering to the fact that the artwork itself can lead you to what it wants to be. I know that's very esoteric, but uh, I, I really like to, to think of it that way. And uh, uh, I try not to shape as anywhere near as much as I used to when I first started out. Although, like, if I was going to photograph you, I would ask you, what are you into? What you know, what's your favourite out of everything, you know, sexually that you do? What's your absolute favourite? What really gets you the most excited? And I was like, and when you tell me, they'll be going, yeah, that's the bit we want to go and photograph. Can we go and yeah. do that? And then that's the bit that gets me excited. Um, and then, like, I just don't turn up and photograph that. We then make sure it's in um, a good location, that we've got the right suitable lighting that every, you know, we had a privacy, we've got uh, the whole feeling in it that goes with it. Yeah. You know, I'd be talking to you about, you know, can you see yourself in an abandoned building doing this or on a street corner with voyeurs or, 
is it in private in a bedroom or is this in a, a really dark place and it's close and intimate or and then I would be working slowly trying to figure that out and then occasionally I'll get someone who says whatever you want and I'm actually left quite stumped at that and I have to have this yeah. conversation about well you know what do you really like and who are you and it takes a while to uh, irk that out of someone to, yeah. to find what, they, what they're really into. And, of course, I have these really crazy ideas with lots of people and try to get people to come together and go, yeah. come on, let's do an orgy in the bush and um, who's up for that or a, a kinky party with lots of people playing all at the same time. Um, but I'm still saying do your favourite thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> try and be your authentic self. Uh, it's like you're trying to tease you know. the artwork out of that, out of the model, like there's, yes. Yeah, I'm trying to see this part of you that's in there. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not trying to pose you. Right. So there's a lot of fetish artists. So there's a lot of um, pornographies would be the same, is that we need this particular shot and it's got to be this long and we need this particular one and it has to look this way and you need to sit in this particular spot to make yourself look the most beautiful or... Um, put your arm over here and it works better. I tend not to work that way. I tend to get you set up in a, in a, a lovely spot and then I work around um, trying to, to find that moment with you. And over time I become more confident. I'm quite shy with people. Um, and I realise really? that I can, <laughs> I can so help personable. them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can work with someone and actually improve the photo just by doing little adjustments or can we do that again but I need you to do it in this slide and to swing around. And um, I, But I do really don't want to be interfering with what's going on as I'm photographing the, the person. Yeah, okay. So there's, you know, there's times where you need to give a little bit of direction to capture the, the shot but ultimately you're really wanting people to do whatever that feels natural to them. Yes, what gets yeah. them excited. Where? How do you get to the real emotion? Yeah. And if you're in a, you know, in a power-based relationship, I'll be asking the person in power to do something to put the other person into that mental state. You know, if you love going into subspace, you know, well, let's take them there. How would you do that? And yeah. uh, exploring that or you know how do you turn them on or how do you make them orgasm or how do you do these particular things um, it was really fascinating um you know ralph gibson is a in, incredibly famous nude photographer mm -hmm. and he ran a workshop i didn't get to go to but one of my friends did he actually organized him to come and teach it for him and he said he doesn't hire models he will just get uni students to come and take their clothes off and not to try and pose. So wow. this has become where I'm sort of fitting into the world where instead of working with professional models, which I used to do, and that's how I got into the whole fetish scene is through meeting a professional model and her husband yep. that were kinky. This is the so couple now you working with before. Yeah, and now I'm working with people that have no modelling experience that just want to make fun art with me and be uh, exhibitionists and be part of the art-making process and make something that's magical for other people to, to view and enjoy. 
what is the difference between a model working with a model and working with someone who's an amateur who've never really done modeling before? Well, a model works out how to hold their body to make themselves look as beautiful as possible. Interesting. So, okay. Um, as just as an example, uh, Helmut Newton, who photographs a, a lot of women, uh, fetish women, he would um, put models into high heels because it changes the shape of the female body. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it throws the hips forward, it puts the chest out, you, you pull your shoulders back, um, the bum changes shape, the breasts change shape. So uh, a nude model knows that. So even if they're not wearing heels, they will stand up on their toes to shift the weight of their body and to put themselves into that position. A professional model knows that to... Um, to look happy, they actually have to be happy. So they have little triggers to put themselves into that sp- headspace to project what they want into the artwork that's there. So, yeah, they know how to pose and um, they'll have their favourite poses. So if you follow a model and they photographed, they are photographed by hundreds of um, photographers, you can actually see the same pose over and over and over if you're attentive to to looking for that whereas someone that hasn't got any idea they're just being themselves and it's those natural moments that are happening in between that are i find that that's where the beauty is for me Mm. and uh, what i'm trying to capture and that's where the real passion is yeah that makes a lot of sense i hadn't really thought about it in that way but you're very right i'm thinking about myself and like i'm basically an expert in iPhone selfies and that's about it but even then like I know like I'm learning how to hold myself to be so it's the most flattering um and then when I'm when someone else is taking photos of me I will know to be okay be careful that I'm not my arms aren't too squashed against my body or um there's certain ways to hold myself and and even in my little limited experience I can see this commonality in my photos um, so I can imagine when it, when it came to someone who's doing this as a career and having thousands of photos taken of them all the time, that that would start to get very samey, like, yeah, yeah, you're photographing the same thing all the time. Like we all have a preference for one side of our face mm. and, you know, I'm, I'm sure I could ask you which side of your face comes up better in photos and you'll go, oh, well, it's this side and. It might be just because your eyes more closed in one than the other, which is to do with how our brain works. That's another whole story. But okay, <laughs> you will work that out, and then you'll preference it. And yep. uh, like a model will do that and go, "Oh, actually, well, I'll just hide my left side because I don't like how it looks in a photo, mm. and so I only give my right side." Yeah, yeah. That that posing changes things, and um. So much of our existence is about projecting what we think we are out to the rest of the world, isn't it? <laughs> sure is. <laughs> and um, so we want to be seen the way we imagine that we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it sounds like you're looking for something different. You're looking for the, the truth in there. I don't like, no, I wouldn't use the word truth. Okay. Um, I would maybe use the word authenticity. I believe all photography is lies. <laughs> 
and <laughs> manipulations and all sorts. I don't, um, as the artist, I've been so much in control of what you see as the viewer. Mm. I can't control what you think and the story's up to you, but I can control where your eye goes and what you're looking at and what I hide and what I choose to show. Um, and so there's a huge manipulation in that process. And um, I, this idea that there's truth in photography, I've, I throw it right out the window. Like I think that our politics, our, our own sexual preferences, our own tastes and desires come into everything. And I, I, philosophically, I don't want to show the world more rubbish. I don't want to show more maybe not pain's the right word, but I want to sh don't want to show more bad things. Mm. I'm more interested in showing beauty and sharing how magical these things are um, to okay. others and how much they're enjoying it. And, you know, being, I'm not a voyeur in the community. I'm in there. That's my life. I am kinky and uh, uh, I have fetishes and uh, uh I love making the art. So it's a sharing of who I am in that process. But, uh, yeah, it's manipulated just by the direction of the light. Yep. As you said, as you move the camera around, you're manipulating who you are in the image and mm -hmm. you're presenting by even the, the sheer act of choosing which ones to share. You're, you're curating your own feed, aren't you? Absolutely. So there's manipulation in that and yeah. it's beautiful, um, but truth, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me the difference between, because you said you prefer to use the word authenticity. What What's the difference to you between truth and authenticity? I think on a philosophical level they're probably quite the same, same sort of thing. Yeah, um, okay. I just think that uh, this idea that photography is truth Mm. is really problematic. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, we can't use them in court cases as evidence because they're so easily forged and faked, and that's been wow. the case for very many years. Um, and now with AI, we can modify and change things so much easily. But also if you look at um, journalism, we can manipulate by which images we choose to put in. And then we can yeah. change the words and we have our own politics in what we choose um, to publish. So um, the authenticity I'm after is the, the person being themselves. Whether yeah. that's true or not, that doesn't matter. It's, a, it's I'm after that authentic emotion. Authentic emotion. Yeah, I like that. I like that. You're making me think about um, something that bothers me with FetLife and I, I obviously take a lot of photos of myself and have a lot of photos on FetLife and part of that feels really positive too. It feels very body positive. I, I like the way I look in a photo enough to share it publicly. That's a good thing. But I also know that of every photo that I post on there, there's probably 50 plus that I feel too unattractive in that I've, I've looked at and gone, oh, delete, 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 delete. So I am showing this really curated version of me that is, it does feel really inauthentic. And I wonder if that is adding to this culture of 
making other women feel bad about themselves because they're thinking, oh, Harley looks beautiful all the time. Look at all these beautiful photos of her. But the truth is that these are, these are the very cream of the crop and most of the time I don't look nearly as attractive as that. One of the things that I tell people over and over and this has come up throughout my whole life is that comparisons are dangerous, mm. that uh, we should learn to stop comparing ourselves to others all the time. Like that's something that we need to work at. I, I still have to work on that. Um, yeah. I compare my art to others' work. I compare my likes to other people. And I know I shouldn't, but I do. And uh, it's, it's a valuable lesson for everyone is not to worry about or to compare what we look like to others, um, but just to be authentic with ourselves. And, uh, yeah, that place, Fet Life, is very problematic as well because it's a, like every social media, it has... Uh, good people and it has bad people there. It has um, problematic behaviours and it has very, very good behaviours. It has a a really, really strong, healthy community on one hand and then it's got a really negative one on another, all interacting in the same mm-hmm. feed. And uh, it's so overwhelming that we have to get away from it and shut it down and walk out of it or not interact with it. And uh, I think the the issues with social media there are the same as uh, other social medias. And then we've got the sexual ones on top of that floating in there. Um, There's bad things can happen there and bad things do happen there as well. And uh, I I suppose I'm encouraging your listeners to, um, yeah, to try and to let go of comparing joys is to try to show people there's beauty in everybody Mm. um and uh, that doesn't always work visually um and that can be quite a hard thing but Um, i'm thinking about what you said earlier about that authentic emotion as maybe trying to trying to recognize that in photos of yourself like rather than comparing yourself to other people maybe just trying to find a photo that represents how your authentic emotion and sharing that, finding mm. that beauty. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with putting your best thing out, is there? Like the, a lot of people put um, what they feel is their best assets and photograph that over and over and over and use yeah. that as their their way of communicating, hey, look at this part of me. This is something that works, that is really beautiful. And uh, I really believe that, the process of being photographed can be, not always is, but can be an incredibly empowering experience for people. And it can be incredibly uplifting and such a beautiful thing to do. And uh, if you're interested in exploring that, finding a boudoir photographer or a fetish photographer whose work that you love, mm-hmm. I'll put that on as a little aside because you if you don't like their work, um, you can't expect you to like yourself in their work. So you have to love their work mm-hmm. um, and you make that decision before you even go down that path. But exploring being photographed to see what it's like is and what you look like and what other people see in you is a really beautiful, empowering experience. 
Hey guys, just quickly interrupting this interview to play you a quick ad for my audio stories and we'll get right back to the podcast. All aboard the ship where darkest fantasies come to life. Its cargo are beautiful women collared and trained by the masters. Attention. Kane at the ready. These men must train the women to obey their every command. Hands crossed. Get your ticket aboard now. Visit harleyrabbit.com and use the code INTOIT for 25% off. Trafficked, part one, the training room. Let's see where the rabbit hole takes you. So I want to go back to um, talking about your process again. You mentioned locations and I know in the, the kink world or the fetish world, it can be difficult to photograph in public areas or outside or where you might be seen. I mean, if you're doing a shoot in a, in a bedroom, that is probably going to be a lot easier than doing something like, a, um, I don't know, a outdoor shibari shoot or something like that. Um, so how do you go about finding good locations to shoot people in? Do you have any tips on where make good locations? Um, oh, I go searching. I'm one of those people when I drive around that drives down every road. <laughs> if there's a, you know, if there's, there's a, I'm driving along the coast and there's a dirt road off to the right and there's no signposts, I drive down there to see where it goes. And um, is that, is that because you're scouting for photography locations or just because you're curious? Both. And both. it's the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, because my I live a life of photography and art. Yeah. Like I call myself an artist rather than a photographer. Yep. And it's like I'm always looking for locations. Like I drove home from um, another city only this week, and I noticed um, three locations as I'm driving along, and I'm like, oh, I I should remember those, and they would be somewhere interesting to go to. Um, to photograph. So I'm always looking, um, I'm looking at other people's work to see what interesting locations there are. So I follow UberX um, people on Instagram. I I love photographing in nature. Wait, what's, so, what's UberX? Um, uh, exploring abandoned buildings. Oh, yes. Illegally. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I love to go and do that in an abandoned building and take a few yeah. kinky people or a few swingers or something and then um, go and photograph them in that environment. And then there's the risk of getting caught, which makes it even more exciting. And <laughs> it spirals and skyrockets. And then uh, I don't take um, lighting, so I have to find the location that works to suit the photograph. Yeah, and that's also part of the person. Like you might be really a primal person. I don't know so much about you but just say you were really loved the whole primal play mm -hmm. you might love to be 
you know, beside a river on and have mud all over you and to be in the water and to be hunted down and to be chased or do the chasing. And um, that's to, to do something like that. We just need to find somewhere outside that suits that. But someone else might really love being in a really fancy hotel yep. or even in their own private bedroom or a dungeon. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So really, you're really trying to suit choose the location to bring out that that spark in that person what turns them on what works yes for them. Yeah. yeah yeah and i have the ones that turn me on as well and some people are really happy just to explore that with you yeah and not worry about that side of it what are but, some of your favorites oh i love abandoned buildings yeah <laughs> i love nature I, absolutely you know, yeah you know, tying someone to a tree or rolling them in the mud or dragging them through a river mm. um, tied up or by their hair is just magic, absolute fun. Um, mm. And I love historic places. So uh, I, I often use a hotel here in Sydney that um, just has, uh, you know, spirally curly wallpaper and wardrobes that are 50 or 100 years old and light fittings that look very, very old. Mm. So that's another really beautiful spot that I love to photograph. I do do a lot in my studio and I've got a, you know, huge wall of books. So I use that as a background or just even black and that to get really uh, intimate. And a, like a chair and a black background can be any dark room I can use. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say, and it's a, it's a tip for for you taking your selfies or for anyone else wanting to take their own photos of um, themselves or other people, is that we start with the background. Like this conversation about what's your favourite background is, it's one of the key elements of doing a photograph or making the artwork is what's going to happen to in the background that adds to the photograph. Is it going to detract is it going to attract? Is it going to add extra story? Is it going to be dark? Is it going to be light? Then the next question is what's happening with the light? Yep. And uh, how much is that going to change who you are and play with? So we start with the background and then we look at the light and then work from there and finally we get to the person and then what's going on. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine, like, it's the context, isn't it? Like that you're setting the scene um, by choosing your background. That's going to – and it's interesting you say does it detract because I can imagine you could find the coolest location in the world but it might be too distracting to have something – like I'm, I'm thinking about abandoned buildings and how amazing they are, but you, you don't want your subject to get lost in that background either. Like you want it to be complementing – the person, right? Yes. It can contrast. Yeah. Um, like one of my favourite nudes would be a nude body, like a soft, fleshy and someone that's time-bound on earth with, you know, we're only here for like 100 years. Yeah. And then we have, you know, rock that's millions of years old and it's hard and rough and mm. sacred in its own way and then you mix the two together and you have this incredibly beautiful contrast of texture, time, um, smoothness, softness, all these sort of things. So 
it can be a contrast or it can be a compliment. Uh, it can add to the story. And, yeah, you're looking as to whether it's going to be a distraction or whether it's going to to bring extra extra into it. Yeah. So what does your planning process look like when you're, say, you're going to do a shoot with someone? Um, it sounds like you want to choose a location that's going to be right for them. So is there a bunch of communication that happens beforehand? How long does this process go for before you'd actually start photographing them? It's different with each person. Some people just, they, they really clear, they are very clear about what they want and they can express that. And then it's very easy to sort out and go to and start. But uh, a more common one would be to sit for coffee and to talk for an hour or two about um, getting to know someone, building a rapport, finding out what they like, what they're interested in, coming up with ideas. If I'm working with someone for a longer period of time, uh, we actually spend a lot of time brainstorming possibilities and scenes and exploring that and um, following that collaborative idea. I I really love doing that. And people come along that are really interested in exploring that with you. And the, the artwork becomes something greater than I'm actually doing myself. It's a, it's a story of them at the same time and a, a sharing of their ideas. So once that starts to emerge, it, it becomes very easy then to say, oh, well, we need to go and do this. Like, or it sounds like maybe the first time we do this, we do this in a studio so we don't have to worry about other people uh, and it can be very private and personal and no one's watching and yeah. it can be quite small and controlled or other people it's like, well, let's just meet at night and we'll go and photograph under street lights in the city. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and they're very happy with that. Uh, I, I photographed a, a lovely French lady r- recently and um, we met a few times and we talked about it and then we met in a pub. She had, we both had a few drinks. Um, and then she went to the bathroom, put on her latex, put on a huge overcoat and we walked out into the night and we found lights and photographed under the lights. Wow. In the, in the streets. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, abandoned buildings or historical buildings make the most beautiful backdrops and a, a gorgeous place to work at night. So but only some people are willing to do that. So it really depends what you're into. Like you can't go and have sex on a corner of a street um, and expect to get away with that. Whereas, right. you know, having a bit of lingerie under a coat and, and you know, poking out a bit of leg and being yeah. sultry on a corner does work for that sort of thing. Or, you know, maybe dropping the coat and doing a nude for a few seconds and covering up might work. But it's not a real place to, you know, have someone bound to a street post or something. So right. uh, it's all contextualised into what's suitable and what you can get away with and um, how you get caught. Sometimes a really good strategy is to have a, someone watching for you. Yep. And they keep people away from you and warn you when someone comes. 
Have you ever gotten into any trouble from shooting in public? Uh, yes. <laughs> Are you willing to tell that story? Um, yeah, I might have to, uh, I'll tell it to you. And if I um, change my mind, you might have sure. to cut it out. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to hear it anyway. <laughs> um, uh, it took me a long while to actually tell the story because it was so upsetting and um, distressing. But uh, I was photographing uh, a friend and uh, she was chained to a fence and um, just a chain around her neck and to a fence and she was sitting on the ground and it was at night and so it was a gate, you know, the cyclone fences, yep. you know, really high, maybe eight feet high or something two metres high barbed wire at the top and, you know, keep out sign and all those things. And we've got a vehicle parked and she's in the headlights and um, the camera's on the other side of the road and I've got a remote control photographing myself in the photo and her. Mm -hmm. And um, this is on a dead end street and uh, a car drove past and I, and uh my friend said, can I just stay here in chains for a few hours? I'm like, no, we're going. <laughs> so we hopped in the car. Typical sub. I just want to stay yeah. in this space, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to stay in this headspace. Can yeah. you just leave me here abandoned? She wanted me to leave her totally abandoned. Anyway, so off we went, hopped in the car, drove around the corner down the street and there's um, nine police cars at the end of the street getting organised, putting on their bulletproof vests, planning how to come up the street to catch us. And um, we just drive around the corner, doo, 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 doo. oh, look, there's some police cars. And we caught them for. totally by surprise. <laughs> <clears throat> and they pulled us over and then we were questioned and searched and um, I became incredibly nervous and upset. And uh, I got very, very stressed about the whole process. Yeah. And uh, I discovered that handcuffs are illegal in New South Wales. And I'm like, well, I bought them at the sex shop, you know. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, uh, after their questioning, they realised that it was all just art and photography and yeah. um, uh, the person that drove past in their car had reported us. Yeah, and okay. uh, they thought um, something terrible was going on. And so they, we were kept there for about a half an hour. Mm. And uh, interestingly, <laughs> I didn't get a dressing down, like the whole experience was bad enough, but um, the police officer, the worst thing he said to me was, um, could you imagine what the person driving past thought? And he's right, that was the yeah. worst thing. And if I was to do that again... I would have someone standing on the street actually stopping the car and asking them to wait until we, you know, yeah. until we'd finished and then cover up the person or turn the headlights off or whatever we needed. And we didn't obviously find a quiet enough place to do it. And, uh, yeah, I was shaking for days after oh, that. Oh, I, I, I would have been beside myself, my goodness, especially no, nine police cars yeah, it wasn't, there was, um, yeah. Wow. Was, and there and was an right. area commander and all those sort of things. And, you know, they thought I had a gun and all sorts oh, of weird things. Yeah. And like, what's in that bag? 
Oh, look, cameras and whips and chains. (laughs) It's not what it looks like. So they were sniggling. The the police officers were giggling and and having a good laugh at the end. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah. And the the person, um, uh, she was so good at comforting me because she it didn't seem to affect her, but it really okay. affected me. Yeah. I could just see myself in jail for something. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's what's, you know, the, the worst fear in your mind going through your head. Yeah, well, as you say, like sometimes there are things that are illegal that I wouldn't have even thought of. As you say, handcuffs, like what? <laughs> you can just buy them at a shop. Um, that's different in every state. but Yeah, yes. yeah. I know I, I spoke to another guest on this show talking about um, a lot of the any blood play scenes that get shown on FetLife like are actually that's illegal in a lot of countries, even if it's consensual. Um, that you're just not allowed to harm someone like that, even if they want you to. So a lot of us are. I, I'm always really nervous about what I say on my podcast because I, I um, am very into the consensual non-consent space and abduction fantasies and all of that kind of thing. And I am really worried about, like, could this be seen as encouraging sexual abuse or I, I, someone could hear this in the wrong context and take it take it wrong and I don't know. It, it does really worry me. And um, as you mentioned before, like, when there's a witness that doesn't understand the context, you could actually really freak someone out or traumatise them if they think that they've just witnessed a crime Um like if I if I was going to plan an abduction scene or something, like you have to be really careful that no one sees that and gets the wrong idea because they don't know it's fun and games. They they think that someone is actually getting hurt. So it's it's a real concern in this space. Yeah, I I really struggle even just being in a hotel room with um, making loud noises. Like right. worried about what people will think in the other rooms. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, like for me, that's not a place to um, get someone to scream at all or mm. um, to even get too thuddy with toys or canes and whips and those sort of things. And yet my friends are right into it and they think it's fun and uh, uh, other people aren't really consenting to be exposed to that those sounds through the walls. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's I don't balance. know the answer to that at no. all and I, but i'm sure that's something that's really worth exploring and um uh, trying like to find answers to yeah because you 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 also have a right to have these experiences that you want to have but you've got to work out what feels comfortable and what doesn't feel comfortable and are you involving innocent bystanders bystanders in your play like try and limit that as much as possible um, but mm. it is tricky, especially with like we've had noise complaints. For, I live in a in a unit, and we've had noise complaints from our impact play sessions, <laughs> <laughs> which is you know a bit of a a trophy. The letter sometimes you're like, look, we got a noise complaint from our kinky lifestyle, but also you feel <laughs> bad, like someone is trying to en- enjoy their life, and they don't really want to hear you screaming and getting whipped and things. Mm. Um, but it's also like you're teaching consent at the same time and so you're teaching 
uh, and preaching ethical ways to enjoy mm-hmm. um, and to explore this full range of sexuality that we have. Um, and I think that's a really noble thing to be doing. And uh, um, I think when we do it in an ethical manner, that we're actually helping educate people. Yeah. And hopefully yeah. bringing a better way of being rather than the, you know, the, uh, the misogynist world that we live in. That, you know, we're trying to escape away from that and yeah. from violence. Um, and uh, uh, we want to get to a better place. We're almost out of time, but before we finish up, I'd love to hear about um, maybe one or two more stories you might have. I feel like you're someone that has a lot of stories. <laughs> Could you maybe tell me about um, a, a shoot that was particularly great, that was really, really fun? Oh, um, I really need to put my thinking cap on there. Or uh, if, you've, if you've got a different one that comes to mind, I, I just want to pick your brains about some of your experiences. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I might start at one of the ones at the beginning and yeah. um, it was incredibly fun. Uh, the, there was one lady I met through a dating site. This was after I met my, these, you know, this kinky couple that were modelling mm-hmm. and I was photographing them having sex and um, she said to me, are you? are you poly and um, kinky? And I was just like, yes. And I had no idea what poly really meant or, <laughs> and I really didn't know what kinky meant. And I know I am, like I knew then that I was, I'd been experimenting in kink and sex my whole life and mm. some of my fetishes go back to my childhood and those sort of things. But anyway, it was an automatic reaction and it triggered me researching those things. And she introduced me into the scene and she was a photographer and we joined forces and became one artist. And so for my first two to three years in the scene, we photographed as one person, like a a Gilbert and George um, who, you know, a a really beautiful queer old art couple in England who make art as one person. And they're both wow. involved in it and they combine it all together and they sit there and talk about it and it's one person's art. So we did that for our first few years and um, it was amazing. And I think it's one of those things that I've been chasing ever since is uh, uh, they became part of the Muse creation process and uh you know, brainstorming ideas with someone else and then going and making them happen and then working on artworks and exhibitions. I think we had five or six exhibitions. Like it was quite a lot of work that we put out in that time. Um, So that was very, very special. And that partnership was called Christine and Len. Um, It ended on in a bad way, unfortunately. Um, uh, And that's just a really sad um, thing that happens in in those because it was almost a it becomes a very intimate partnership, even though we weren't lovers, but um, the emotions saying get... about sex and art there. They're That's very right. closely linked. Yeah. They get very closely linked together. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe another story there is uh, the people that have become muses mm. and um, that become integrated into your life. They become lovers, partners and collaborators in making the art. And they're involved in it and actually are in it. And uh, 
they are really beautiful stories of romance too. And uh, the artwork that comes from that relationship seems to be extra, extra magical. And maybe that's just me looking at my own art. It's triggering all those memories. Um, or maybe because there was that connection, the art was better. I don't really know the answer to that, but uh, that's another dream that I continually chase in my life mm. is uh, this relationship with someone that is actually as obsessed about making the art as me and wants to share that ex that process and that experience and get off on making it together. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, very, very, very powerful. And People come along like that all the all the time. Like there's a, I, I work with a, a mistress, a master. She calls herself in um, Adelaide, uh, mm -hmm. Emma Peel, and we've done enough work over the years to make a really beautiful book, and an exhibition just of our own work. Wow! Um, and uh, you know, we sit down and we create these elaborate scenes, and then she pulls together all her friends, and uh, they all become actors in these imaginary scenes. And we've been doing that for 10 years, I think. Wow. Uh, That's beautiful. Yeah. So I'm always excited to see where the next one comes from or what they do. Yeah, I'm working with a mistress in, um, in Queensland too. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to be working with her and see what comes out of that as well. I can see this on your profile when I, when I first saw it, you're just, wanting to connect with people and and really curious and just wanting to see what happens if if you get to work together and really embracing that i think that's a really beautiful quality a lot of us are very guarded we assume that everyone else is like we might have had some bad experiences with other people so sometimes i think a lot of kinksters close themselves off in this community um but having this sense of openness that you have, I think really invites a lot of connection and that's where the best experiences come from. It's really beautiful. I'm, I'm not so much a loner. I really love people and yeah. that connection, making art with other people, um, having a sense of community, uh, making special friends, um, uh, learning about who we are and who others are it's a it's a really beautiful magical thing and um when i was young it was about being an artist and making this art and putting it out in the world and today it's much more about enjoying the process of making it enjoying and, the process of making it i love that <laughs> And connecting with all these people like mm. this brings it. I have this incredibly beautiful community of people that uh, love and adore me and are willing to work with me and do the most amazing things. And uh, that's become my family. And that's mm. really, really special. Very, beautiful. very special. Yeah. Yeah. I think on your profile on FetLife, you mentioned of your first kink party you went to and the way you describe it is that I think you said you were stoned sitting on the bed watching a parade of kinksters walk past and you felt like you'd found your tribe or your home. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was stoned off my face and uh, um, I was just watching. I was being a pervert, 
um, at being a voyeur, yeah. observing, and I didn't know how to interact with people. And uh, uh, I'm still not very good at interacting with parties with people. I don't like going up to people and say, hey, I'm Len, do you want to play? <laughs> I, that's not very good at that. But um, yeah. Uh, I, I just love being in that environment and I, I, I love that to today and uh, it's just so, so magical. And it was like yeah. this huge door opened <clears throat> and through that process I'm like, oh, my God, this is who I am under all of this. Mm. Like I have all these values and all these experiences and I didn't understand and then through discovering my sexuality, mm. through discovering that it's... um that I'm queer, that I'm, I'm I love power-based relationships. So mm. there's a, a, a part of me that's a sadist and uh, I'm absolutely love sex and I'm obsessed mm. by that as well. And uh, being able to just to be me, it's so liberating, isn't it? It's yes. like, oh, okay, I've found out who I am and it still doesn't, it's not like suddenly you have this full picture. It just keeps unfolding and... <laughs> You keep growing and finding yep. out more and more and more and like, yeah, well, maybe even I did, I, I thought I was that, but maybe I'm not, or I try this and I experiment with that and it's yeah. beautiful. It's absolutely Always unfolding. beautiful. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think, I don't know, the world we live in feels very conservative at times. And for those of us that don't feel satisfied with the normal vanilla arrangement um I think as you say it can be really liberating to recognize these parts of yourself in other people and going oh this is who I am <laughs> this is okay yeah all right Len well it's been an hour so thank you so much for chatting with me I feel like I could do three more episodes with you um just diving into your your past and and all your um philosophical ideas and all of that is really really interesting um thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom with us on the show is there a place that my listeners can follow you and and um stay in touch with you maybe see some of your work reach out to me on um fat life and and find me a kinky lens there yeah i'll put a a link to that in the show notes people can find that so fat life's the best place to yes it is Excellent. All right. I think most of my listeners are on there, so that's perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Len. For everyone that's listening, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Till next time, play safe, have fun, and I will catch you soon. Bye. Bye. Turns out I'm into it. Into it. Into it. Thanks for listening to Turns Out I'm Into It. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to hit subscribe and leave a rating and review. This will help other people just like you to find this podcast. If you have any comments or questions, you can reach out to me on FetLife or through the Harley Rabbit website. My name on Fet is Harley Rabbit, or one word, or you can message me direct through the website. Go to harleyrabbit.com forward slash podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show. I will be back soon with another episode exploring the wonderful world of kink.